0: Welcome, everybody, back to the Oklahoma Drill Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew. I got my co host, Matt, here with me as always. It is a very fun Sunday morning, a couple of days after the Jets' first preseason matchup with the Philadelphia Eagles. We are going to go through and review the game in all of its entirety, the biggest news of Zach Wilson's studs and duds, as well as everything else, and looking ahead to the next preseason game against the Atlanta Falcons and the inner squad practice that's going to happen before that. Matt, I'm going to toss things over to you real quick. Go ahead and give me just your overall thoughts of uh, Friday night's preseason game and what you were most maybe excited by.
1: Well, uh, I don't know. It was kind of a mixed bag because, uh, of course, he had the, the Zach injury pretty early, uh, and that kind of deflated the entire night uh, without really going back and, and looking at the game. Uh, it would be hard to it, to really, like, zero in on anything that I really liked because it all just kind of drowned into the background at that point. Uh, but overall, I feel like the the team, mostly the second and third team, the backups, uh, did pretty good. Uh, even a lot of some of the starters, especially on the offensive side. Uh, I think there's definitely something to build off of there. But uh, as we saw right away, there, there's a lot that they need to work on, especially the starters, because they just look like they weren't really prepared for anything. I mean, of course, they're not really game planning, but neither were the Eagles. And they just walked down the field and really did whatever they wanted against our first team. Uh, so, but at the same time, there's, there's sprinkles of, of positivity.
0: Yeah. Um, overall it was definitely a mixed bag, but the jets did end up getting the win, uh, had a last second touchdown from a, all the way down on the depth chart. Chris Strelliver, former CFL quarterback, uh, to Calvin Jackson, a backup receiver, uh, to win the game. But like you said, right at the top. That injury to Zach Wilson really put a damper on everyone's spirits and we were all biting our nails and and crossing our fingers and toes and everything else hoping for good news. We can now say a few days later, we know we do have some good news and that it is not a season ending injury. It is a meniscus tear along with a bone bruise in his knee and early prognosis is that he should be out two to four weeks. Now, Matt, I'm going to go on a little bit here uh, with some personal experience because I actually have torn my meniscus before. And so I can speak personally to this injury. Um, I don't think it's two to four weeks. Mm -hmm. I think it's going to be longer.
1: A little longer.
0: And I I think that is a very, very optimistic uh, anticipation of his injury. He did have a surgery. It was not a full meniscus repair. Uh, It was more of a trim from what I read.
1: Wait, did he have the up? surgery? I, I thought he was, I heard he was getting a second opinion and uh, maybe having it later this week. That I didn't hear.
0: I was just going off that he was getting the surgery. So you might be more updated than I am. Uh,
1: uh, yeah, I think he's getting a second opinion. And, but I think the surgery is being planned uh, th- for later in the week. Yeah. Uh, from
0: personal experience, like I said, I would highly, highly recommend he gets whatever surgery is being recommended. Uh, when I tore my meniscus a few years ago, I did not get surgery. I probably should have. Um, the doctors basically told me it was, you know, pay for an MRI and you might need surgery. And if you do, we'll do it. Or you might pay for an MRI and then end up not needing surgery. And you wasted money for that. Yeah. Uh, shout out American healthcare. <laughs> anyway, um, I ended up opting not to get the surgery. That was close to three years ago. And my knee still isn't 100%. Uh, it's it's. Painful, you know. After extended periods of walking, stability is definitely my biggest issue of feeling competent and and putting weight and really feeling stable on that side. My other leg kills me throughout the day because I feel like I'm just putting all my weight on that one side. Even however many years later, granted, I probably should have had a surgical procedure to help that. And I don't think that Zach Wilson's going to go through the exact same you know experiences me in a different situation. That's not a pro athlete dealing with pro athletes' doctors. Yeah. That said. I don't want to give him two weeks to get his knee stable. I don't want to give him four weeks to get his knee stable. So in my head, I'm not even thinking about him starting week one. That's not even, I'm not even planning for that. I am planning for Flacco to start and giving Zach, even if it takes into week two and he misses week two as well, he needs to make sure that that knee is stable and that he is comfortable because it's his right knee. That's going to be where he's driving all of his power off when he's throwing. You plant on your left leg as a right-handed quarterback, but you build all of your power and your, your rotation through that back leg that you're driving off. He needs that knee to be stable. So I'm, I'm not rushing him back. I hope he ends up getting this surgery, even if it is later in the week, because I really think that if they're recommending that he get it, that in the long run, it will do a lot more for him to have it than to try and rush himself back and skip the surgical phase to maybe get back sooner. I don't think that's going to help him out in the long run. Overall, I'm very, very relieved that this wasn't a season-ending injury, but I am cautious about the time frame, and I just want to make sure the Jets give him as much time as possible for that knee to get healthy and, most importantly, get stable.
1: I still have my wall up because even after the good news that we received, the, the beat reporters started pulling back a little bit, saying, oh, well, even during the surgery, they might dig in and find other things wrong and it could delay things even more. Uh, So until he's got the surgery and I hear everything went smoothly, no, there's no problem. uh, That's when I'm going to start the clock. Then as of right now, I think it's still a little too early to tell. Uh, But yeah, I really hope that he does end up getting the surgery uh, and he, there's nothing wrong. And even when he comes back, Uh, We started talking about this offline, how he should just start wearing a brace. Because no matter what, I don't see him changing the way he plays. He's always going to try to dig out that extra yard uh, and really fight for what's his. And that could lead to more things down the line. So the more stability he can give himself, the better. Uh, And hopefully, hopefully... The decision making comes with it. Uh, right. If he starts taking more precautions, yeah. maybe he's more aware of situations and how to be smarter within those situations. Uh, and right away, this and the little that we saw of Wilson, though his decision making was definitely in question, whether it was the, that interception where he stares down the receiver or the fact that he tried to cut it back in uh, in a preseason game to dig out more yards. I swear as soon as I saw him make that cut inside, my heart stopped, stomach yep. went into my ass, and it was just horrible. And as soon as I saw that limp out, I, I knew I, 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 I deep down in my stomach, I, I knew that it was some kind of knee issue. Um, but yeah, thankfully, so far, good news, but we'll we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah,
0: 100 percent, it's going to be wait and see at this point.. Um... Like you said, there is the possibility that surgeries find other complications, or as we've seen with the Jets and injury timetables recently, that that doesn't necessarily mean anything and things can change and healing can be slowed or, or interrupted for a multitude of reasons, but that we have to wait and see. You said something before I want to I wanna hop on, because I think that now that we've all taken a deep breath and that even if there might be some other complications, we know this isn't an outright season-ending injury, and sooner rather than later, he should be back in working order and back on the field. I think we need to talk about that decision-making, and I want to talk about decision-making not just from Zach Wilson, but from the entire organization.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: I don't want to play the blame game because it's a violent game. Injuries happen. You want your guys to fight. You want your guys to you know, be aggressive. Robert Sala preaches effort, technique, and violence. That's part of their game. So I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, you know, nothing would have ever happened or, or try and throw blame on, on anyone in particular thing. wholly. that said, I think you need to take a look at coach Sala and you need to say, coach, you put your starting quarterback in the game with two backup tackles to start with in a preseason game. Granted, That wasn't ending up what caused his injury, but you're already at risk there. When you have two backup tackles and you're putting out against a great defensive line like the Eagles in preseason week one, I don't think that Zach Wilson needed those reps that week. I think you could have waited if Dwayne Brown gets in the building and gets healthy enough to get some preseason reps the next week, if maybe we get Fant back and he's out on the field. I think this did not need to be, we start Zach Wilson preseason week one. That aside, this is Zach Wilson's problem, and I, I, it's harsh to hear, but that's the reality of this. Zach Wilson threw a really bad interception drive before he got hurt. Was really it? bad. Really bad. It was a curl flat concept. Running back goes out to the flat, pulls the linebacker that's in the curl flat zone. Corey Davis is running a curl route right in the vacated space. And Zach never even remotely peeks backside to see if the middle linebacker was cheating, to see his depth, to see how far over he was. Keeps his eyes locked in on Davis the entire time and it allowed Kaiser White to come from behind where he never even saw him jump in front of the play, pick it off and run it back for a good amount of yards. That's the opposite of what we heard at Last year, when it was Zach Wilson's taking in too much information, he's deciphering too much. He needs to focus on this part of the play and and keep his eyes in the right spot. And, you know, if you're if the concept's to the left, you don't need to worry as much about what's going on to the right. This was overcompensating of that, in my opinion. This was this is my concept. It's curl flat. I got the defender to move with the flat route. I'm going to have the curl underneath it. And he never even considered or looked or pondered the thought of other linebackers cheating his eyes and trying to break on the ball that's a problem. And that's something that's going to need to be worked on as the season goes on and practice, let alone in games. The bigger issue for me, and like you said, Matt, like we were talking about him wearing a brace. He's going to be the guy that tries to fight for extra yards. He's going to be the guy that wants to be aggressive that, you know, he's never going to give up. We saw him at BYU hurtling defenders on the sideline, trying to run people over, you know, he's gritty and he's got that aggressiveness to him and that's, part of what we love about him, but it also gets mixed in with some hero ball stupidity, for lack of another word. Am I mad that Zach Wilson wants to be aggressive and try and gain more yards? No, I'm mad that he wants to do it in preseason week one. Point blank period, as the leader of the franchise, as the face of the team, as... All hopes resting on your shoulders in the second year when everybody from Joe Douglas to Robert Sala to Braxton Berrios to anybody is saying that this year is all about Zach Wilson. You got to be smart enough to know, live to play another down, slide or get out of bounds. In preseason week one, you want to do that against the Baltimore Ravens when it's actually week one and the games are counting and you're putting everything on the line? Not going to say anything against it whatsoever. No complaints there from me. This is preseason week one. It was overcompensating after he threw a bad interception and he wanted to go out and try and make another big play and it cost him getting hurt. And he's very, very lucky that it seems like it didn't cost him this season. Very lucky. Uh, (laughs) If people want to be mad at me for this take, that's fine. I, I will accept the heat. I understand we all love Zach Wilson. I still love Zach Wilson. Still hoping nothing but the best for him. But this was a bad decision. It was a really dumb decision. And it's almost, for lack of a better word, a rookie mistake. And you can't be making rookie mistakes in year two. You just can't.
1: Yeah, I, I completely agree. Uh, this is... I. So part of me also thinks maybe he's just seeing what he can get away with in preseason. Maybe he can make some bad decisions. Mostly, I don't think that's I'm, the, I'm the time with, for it either. Yeah, with, like throw the bad decision. Right, yeah. But the run itself, I think that's just who he's going to be for his entire career and we're going to see these mistakes made by him over and over again where he's going to put himself in a bad situation and we're either going to have to live with it or we won't because he'll be injured and that's really just going to be the fear if you look back at his career even before the jets at byu how many torn labrums did he have It's he's have he has an extensive injury history so far. And I don't think that's a coincidence. I think it has a lot to do with uh, the kind of player that he is, the kind of pressure that he puts on himself and the positions that he puts himself in. And I, if it hasn't changed yet, I don't think there's anything the coaches can really drill into him to change who he is. I just hope that, maybe a light turns on and maybe he becomes more situational with it. Uh, And that's maybe all we can hope for really. Uh, But right now we were looking at the results. We're, We're feeling the results of this mentality that he has. And for better or worse, it's, it is what it is. The
0: only positive that I am taking out of this situation right now, aside from the fact that this wasn't a season ending injury, is that we saw last year what happens when Zach Wilson got hurt and had to take a step away. Mm -hmm. And we saw how that improved him. We saw how he came back and he was sharper. He was more efficient. He was taking care of the ball better. He was overall making really good decisions. You know, we saw a big difference in him after he had that time away. I'm hoping we see something similar again. I'm hoping that. He's, I'm hoping that Zach Wilson is sitting there going, thank God I'm not out for the season. I'm never doing that again. Uh, Not in a preseason game. And that has some sort of effect on him to be a smarter player overall. Because when you have that sort of talent that he has, when you can make any play on the field at any moment, you want to do that. You want to be the hero. You want to be Superman. And, And there's guys that are capable of doing that But the best Superman quarterbacks, Josh Allen, Pat Mahomes, you know, whoever throughout history, they don't become those elite Superman quarterbacks without also being really good at taking care of the ball and taking care of their bodies. It's not just, you know, decision making with turnovers. It's decision making with keeping yourself healthy and knowing when to slide, knowing when to take a shot, knowing when to get out of bounds. And this was an example of him not knowing that. So I'm hoping that this can be a learning experience because
1: otherwise it might be an ugly season. Uh, one other thing kind of troubled me, not even with decision-making, but accuracy-wise. Uh, he, he had that yeah. short little out route, I believe. I, uh, to, I think it was yep. Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson. And he just sailed it right over his head. And it reminded me of his rookie year, making similar horrible short throws. These should be gimmies. These should be drive starters. Instead, there are plays that, if he continues to do them, will really drain our offense and really stop drives in their tracks. Uh, We've seen it too many times where he has these easy options and he makes horrible throws and we end up in third and long situations. Uh, This is something I was really hoping would be fixed by now. Uh, And it seems like a lot of it has been in camp. Uh, but then once the game situation happens, we're seeing it again. Uh, I, I'm i really hesitant to say that he hasn't grown at all. But as far as what we've seen in game situations, i have not seen much of a difference between this year and last year. Uh, again, very small sample size. Can't really take anything away from it but it's just what we see. Yeah. Off what we've seen, it hasn't been encouraging.
0: It really hasn't. Um, And what's really troubling for me. As you were talking about that throw to Garrett Wilson, where it's just a simple out route from the slot, about a five yard out Garrett Wilson wide open and Zach throws it right over his head. And it's not even remotely catchable. It's frustrating to me because we know he can hit that throw. He threw a touchdown to Braxton Berrios against the Bucks on the same route concept last year. Berrios in the slot, out route, throw it at the top of the stem. That time, you put it on Barrios's face, he was able to turn the corner and get in for a score on third down. Week Preseason week one this year, similar concept, better receiver who's wide open, and you miss him. It's not encouraging. But, like I said, hopefully the time off will be able to reset him. Hopefully getting to watch some of the other quarterbacks go through first team reps, see how they process, especially if Flacco ends up starting, seeing how Flacco is going to prepare for a start against his former team that I'm sure he's going to have extra motivation for. That's going to be really valuable for him, and I hope that it makes an impact. Um, But yeah, like you said, it has not been it wasn't an encouraging start for Wilson. Hopefully the next time we see him, things will
1: be different. We can only hope but you mentioned Flacco now we have to look forward uh to a time without Zach uh no matter how long that is we're going to be without Zach for a little bit and we're looking at Flacco we're looking at White i know people at right away after the injury were begging for Jimmy Garoppolo to be yeah, traded that, to that us that was hilarious that that's not happening folks uh so <laughs> let's let's look at our options we got Flacco. We got White. Uh, it's, it's most likely going to be Flacco. He didn't play uh, on Friday, uh, probably just getting some vet time off. I probably would bet on him playing next week for sure. Yep. Uh, but you know what? All accounts have said that Flacco has been looking really good, uh, and he still has that cannon for an arm, and that's going to be a huge asset, especially compared to White going forward because being able to stretch the field is invaluable. We need to be able to keep these defenses on us and not stack the box. And because we saw our offensive line, uh, they, they weren't that great at pushing the pile. So we're, we need to keep those boxes light, stretch the field and Flacco's arm is probably the best to do it. Uh, White came in and he, for Better or worse, he, he looked pretty good. Uh, he looked more poised and comfortable back there than Zach, a lot like what happened last year when Zach got hurt. White came in, looked poised, and won and <laughs> beat the, the Cincinnati Bengals. So it, it's looking a lot like last year in terms of how this is going. And then maybe we see White next week, but I'm betting we see Flacco. Yeah,
0: I'm betting we see Flacco, too. Uh, I'd be really surprised if, if he is not the starter for next week, the starter for the last preseason game and the starter for week one, uh, I would be very, very surprised if it is Mike White and not Joe Flacco. I think it's a foregone conclusion, quite honestly, that it's going to be Flacco. And I think part of the reason he didn't play on Friday, apart from vet rest is they were expecting him to be the primary backup quarterback and they didn't need him playing a ton of preseason reps, risking injury. I think that's another reason why he didn't play, Mm -hmm. but you, you said it, Matt threat of the deep ball and the threat of a vertical explosive passing game is absolutely huge for this team. It's why we spent so long for months and months leading up to the draft and, and free agency and everything else begging the team to add speed because we knew that they needed someone else alongside Elijah Moore to scare defenses vertically, to lighten up boxes, to help out this run game. And if you don't have, if you have the speed to get down the field, that's great. But if you don't have a quarterback that can get that speed, the ball, it almost doesn't matter. That isn't going to change for the Jets. They're still going to have Flacco. He's still got a strong arm. He's still capable of making great deep throws. Their deep passing attack is still going to be viable. And that in turn is going to help their run game. Because spoiler alert, the first team offensive line didn't play very well. They might appear on the duds. Uh, when we get there, they need that threat of the pass game to lighten up those boxes, to make things easier on the running backs, to make things easier on the offensive line and just help the offense overall. This is a very multi-dimensional offense in that all parts are playing off of each other and that you can't really succeed with this offense just with the pass game or just with the run game. You really need both to be working with each other in tandem and sync and and playing off of each other with play action and various other uh, motions and plays that look similar for this offense to really be what it wants to be. If you can't throw vertically, team stack the box, that kills your run game. If you can't run, play action becomes less believable and less effective. It spirals. So I'm... Hopeful that Flacco can keep things running. I'm hopeful that he'll be able to keep the ship steady. Um, and the offense won't be completely and totally screwed. And our young players won't be losing valuable reps in practice or games because they have quarterback who's making it harder for them. I'm optimistic that the future with Flacco will be okay. This is not a we're screwed. The season's over because Wilson might not play week one or maybe even week two. Far from it. I, I think The team is in a good spot. And the last thing I want to highlight about this that isn't tied directly to any of the quarterbacks in particular, but just the team as a whole, their leader, their starter, their face of their franchise went down very early in the game, which what with what looked like a very serious injury that was probably going to cost this season. Mm -hmm. Team didn't quit. They did not. They were down 14-0 to start the game, and they came back and won. I think it was 24-21, if I'm remembering the final score correctly. I believe that's right. Uh, Something along those lines. But they win with 16 seconds left on a Chris Streliver corner route to Calvin Jackson. Shout out to Calvin Jackson for running a gorgeous route, by the way. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: Uh, They never quit. That could have been Jets uh, of years prior would have been, oh, we had an injury to our starting quarterback at the beginning of the game. We're going to lie down and get our ass beaten for the rest of the 45 minutes. Not this team. Who cares if it's preseason? We're going to go for it on fourth down. Jeremy Ruckert's going to score a touchdown. We're going to give us the lead. We'll lose the lead with a minute, 20 seconds left. Zonovan Knight's going to return a a kick 50 yards. Strover's going to run and make a throw in the end zone. We'll win with 16 seconds left. They never stop fighting. And, And I really think that that speaks to the good side of Robert Sala. I started this podcast by saying it was a questionable decision to play Wilson. And I stand by that, but I also credit to Robert Sala for the team, not quitting the team being focused on the game, doing what they can never lacking any effort and fighting until the very end. Uh, I got to applaud that.
1: Yeah, we, we, we have to, they showed no quit. Uh, And every time they, they showed the, the, the team on the sidelines, they did not look defeated. They looked like they were in high spirits uh, and their game showed it. There were a lot of studs on this team uh, throughout the game. Uh, if you, if you got the chance to, to settle down and actually watch it, uh, they were, there were a lot of guys that played well. Yeah, there really were. I think that's going to lead right into uh, studs and duds. Let's go ahead and lead off with our first stud, Matt, take the floor. All right. So like I said, there was a lot of studs and I think, I we I you mentioned Calvin Jackson. I want to mention the receivers as a whole, uh, not just uh, wide receivers, but even the tight ends. I think there was a great showing by all our pass catchers it really uh, was. The, from starting team, even throughout the depth. Uh, they did very well with their route running, especially Wilson, Moore, uh, and and Jackson Jr. Uh, all of them showed great ability to get separation. Uh, they showed very crisp routes, very fluid motion, uh, and the Eagles defenders weren't able to hang with them. Uh, at that point, it was just more of, of the quarterbacks being able to get them the ball. Uh, Zach wasn't able to get it to, to Wilson, uh, but White had, and Striever had a little bit more success. Uh, and the biggest shout-out, I would th- say, to Cager, being able to repackage yeah. himself as a tight end and he looked pretty much unguardable. He was running away from defenders with maybe like four yard separation. And then oh, yeah. after the catch, being able to just pull off massive runs, uh, he ended the day with 40 yards, uh, t- uh, 20 yards per, uh, per reception. Uh, he looked very good. Uh, and I wouldn't be surprised at all if he makes it instead of maybe a Mims, maybe they see more value as, in Cager going forward as a move tight end uh, than they do as Mims as a six wide receiver who doesn't play much special teams. Uh, I could definitely see that. Uh, even uh, Ruckert uh, got in, in the, the thick of things with a touchdown. Uh, it looked pretty encouraging all around for all the receivers. Uh, they all look like, they're ready for this season. And now it's just about who's throwing it to them.
0: Yeah, they absolutely looked really well as group overall. Even Mims, who who had a penalty, had a drop, uh, you know, at some other poor plays that we've come to expect from Denzel Mims, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. He had a couple of nice plays as well. He had a curl route on third down to pick up the chains. I think he had another completion over the middle from, I want to say, White um, that picked up another handful of yards. That uh, curl route in particular was a really nice route because it was Denzel Mims doing what he does best and not trying to be something that he isn't, where he's not going to be the guy at, at 6'3", 200 that it's gonna, you know, chop his feet and be like a Moore, where he's gonna be shifty and make all these different cuts and moves and contort his body. He's a physical, bigger receiver. So he's running this curl route. He's getting the defender scared vertically. He's getting him to start flipping his hips. And then it's not a push-off because a lot of people think it's a push off, but it really isn't. It's a push through. So Mims is starting to decelerate and cut down for this curl and turn around. And he's kind of like throwing the DB past him where he's using the DB's momentum of going backwards and just kind of giving him a little bit of a hand fight to push him back, push him back further and create separation underneath for the curl. And it was first down. That's how big receivers have to play sometimes. That's, that's the nature of their game. That's what they're good at. And so even though it wasn't the best night for him overall, I still think he had a couple of nice plays. Um, is it going to be enough to keep him on the roster? That I don't know. But overall, the receivers played really well. Cager in particular, I think, is, is going to find a role because this team loves bootlegs, and they love leaking out to either tight ends or fullbacks in the flat on those bootlegs and giving those guys an opportunity to run. Will you give Cager that opportunity? And he's got the speed to get the corner like we saw last night. And he can turn a, a four-yard dump off into a 30-yard play because he can just outrun linebackers. And I think that's going to be a a big piece of this offense, honestly. I really Mm -hmm, think that it's going to to be a big factor, and it's why he's going to have a role on the team. Garrett Wilson had a couple of nice routes. Calvin Jackson, uh, let me round of applause, (laughs) sir, because that corner route uh, to win the game from the slot was teach tape. Uh, you could not run a better corner route. If you tried, he gives a little, he's in man coverage. He gives a little stem inside off the snap corner starts drifting outside and getting outside leverage. Calvin Jackson smartly knows I'm running a corner route. I'm trying to go outside. I need to get this defender's leverage to change. I need to move him out of my way and get him in a different spot. So I have free access to run that corner. So he gives a slight inside stem off the snap stutter release drips upfield a little bit gives a little head fake inside once he's got the corner and trail and right after that snaps it back out to the corner uh, to the corner in the end zone DB was dusted, dusted touchdown wins the game. That's it. Excellent wrap. So yeah, overall receivers did really well. Um. Uh, my first stud is going to be who I think we both agree with this, Matt, in our opinion, was the best player on the field, regardless of position, regardless of time, age, experience, anything. Michael Clemens, the defensive end,
1: Ooh. the
0: rookie defensive end. Who we indeed. This dude had a monster game. Absolutely monster game. He was violent in the run game. He was setting a hard edge. He was tracking ball carriers to the edge. His power was showing up over and over. He had a sack. With the Eagles were backed up towards their own end zone where I was looking at it. When I first saw it live, I was like, something must've happened because it didn't look like he pushed the tackle that far or that hard. And the tackle jolted back like seven yards and it opened a lane for Clemens to cut back inside and tackle the quarterback. as he was trying to step up. I went back and rewatched it. No, he's just that freaking strong. He is like that. He can barely touch a guy and they go back seven yards. Then we saw on the literal last play of the game, he gets lined up inside on a guard. He gets a running start and puts a bull rush on the guard that just collapses the pocket. And if it's not for the, the Eagles third string quarterback rolling out and creating pressure for a Hail Mary, that's a sack to end the game. He was everywhere. And I'm really encouraged for how he's going to progress because as an older rookie, considering he's 25, he's had a handful of years playing you know college ball before his body's more developed he's a little further along physically than you would expect for some other rookies. And I think that's going to lead to him getting more playing time than people expect on top of the fact that he lined up at three tech, a good bit, which I wasn't expecting him to see. I thought they would do it a little. I had seen some reports from practice that they were experimenting with it, but he was at three tech a lot. And I was, if he can hold his ground there and be kind of JFM's main backup, he's going to have a role on this team very
1: fast. Oh yeah, absolutely. He is violence personified, one hundred percent. The the guy is just from the get go, just pure fire coming at you, and and it's every single play too. There's no give from start the, to finish. And uh, you and I were huge JJ fans going into the draft, and I keep playing with this: what happens if Clemens ends up being better? And You know what? I would be perfectly okay with that, because that means that we probably have one of the best pass rushers in the game with Clemens, and I can fully get on board with that. He is such a joy to watch, uh, especially since we haven't had any real homegrown uh, pass rushers on the edge in so, so long. So it's such a breath of fresh air, and I can't wait to see more of him. I want to see if he gets more starting reps. Uh, again, he did a lot of his work against backups. Uh, so I'd, I'd be curious to see if he's getting uh, more reps with the first team. I would hope so, too.
0: I think after last uh, after Friday night, he's earned it, quite honestly. I think with how he played against backups, I think he deserved the right to get in there, see what he can do against some starters, and really hold his own. Speaking of Jermaine Johnson, it wasn't the most evidential game for him on the stat sheet, but when I did focus in on him, he looked like the same guy he was at Florida State. He even got Lane Johnson with a bull rush early in the game uh, where Hertz was able to scramble out of it, and I think he was able to to run and pick up some extra yards. But you're getting an all-pro with a bull rush as in your first preseason game as a rookie. Whether you get the sack or not, I'm making note of it.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, absolutely. He, he flashed. I think he even got in on one sack as well, uh, if I'm not a mistaken, half, or half-sack. Half-sack. Uh, so he... Wasn't blanked. He didn't look out of place. He still looked very good. Uh, the defensive line as a whole, I think, looked pretty good uh, all the way down the the line. Uh, and one guy I, I want to mention is Tansel Smart because I went into this offseason thinking that our depth along the defensive line, uh, especially the interior, was kind of weak. Uh, and you mentioned Clemens getting some work at three tech. Uh, but Tanzil Smart actually jumped out at me uh, b- besides Q, and we really need a guy like Smart to really jump out at us. He finished the night with two sacks and five total pressures and hits uh, it's it's an impressive uh, showing from him and one that we really needed and uh, i I want to see if he gets pushed up the the chart as well because uh when I just start going through depth charts and Uh, I was just looking for somebody, anybody, to really jump out as a guy that can maybe be that second starter alongside Q and who that would be. Maybe it's Rankins. Maybe it's Solomon. I don't really like them as starters, though. So if Smart can really keep this up, maybe he can show that he's that guy. It's possible.
0: Uh, I'm a little more pessimistic than you are just because he had a really good preseason last year and then it didn't really amount to anything in the regular season. But two sacks and five pressures is two sacks and five pressures. Uh, Doesn't take anything away from what he did. And like Michael Clemens, the thing that really stood out to me with him, effort. Effort and motor. Where one of his sacks in particular, he's starting from the interior, he's looping to the edge, he has to get through the right tackle, gets knocked on the ground, gets back up, then traces the quarterback down and makes a sack. I think that was his second sack of the night. Effort and Motor are huge for this team, huge for any team, but especially for a team that relies on their defensive linemen, creating chaos to free up everybody else behind them. Having those guys that are relentless, violent, never say die and are charging full speed from start to finish. That's what you need. And it seems like the Jets had two of them uh, on the line last night in Clemens and smart shout out to Bryce Huff too had a couple of reps from Bryce Huff that looked really nice on Clemens sack that I was talking about earlier uh, when the Eagles were backed up and he knocks the the left tackle five yards back by just glancing at him. Bryce Huff on the other edge hits the right tackle with a stutter bowl, gets inside and nearly gets the sack himself. So shout out to Bryce Huff as well. I'm going to move on to my next stud here, sticking with the defensive side of the ball and a guy that anyone that listens to this podcast knows that I am very, very fond of and have been a fan of for a, a very long time now, linebacker Jamie and Sherwood coming off a torn Achilles to come back in, in basically nine months, be ready for camp, fully ready, pass camp, go through camp, no issues, come out in preseason week one and be pretty much the only linebacker on the field that stopped the run. That's impressive to me. He had a nice play in coverage on third down where it's a cover three and he sees that the running back leaking out to the flat is going to be wide open. If he doesn't get and expand and get down and sees it immediately recognizes waits for the running back to catch the ball, gets right in his face. Unfortunately, he doesn't make the tackle, but he slows down the back more than long enough for the rest of the defense to rally. And it's a stop on third down. And that doesn't happen without Jamie and Sherwood. There were a couple of plays we'd like to see. I'd like to see cleaned up. He had a, a tough time against cam Jurgens on a, I think it was a toss or a, 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 sweet play um, where Jergens got him and was able to knock him out of the frame pretty well. Outside of that, I thought he was very instinctive. I thought he looked quick. I thought he looked explosive and he comes downhill with authority. And when he meets you in the hole, he's not giving up any tackles. So I'm, I was very encouraged by what I saw from him. He was pretty much the only linebacker we had that I have anything positive to say about.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, he definitely showed that he was back. Uh, that was the big Better question. Than <laughs> Better than back. Better than back. Before the game, uh, new beat writer uh, Rosenblatt was asking, oh, who's the out-of-the-box the, out of the, the box guy that you're looking for in this game? And Sherwood was my guy. I really wanted to see how he would look, if he would just pick up right where he left off uh, after his injury. And he seemed to. One thing I was a little eh about was his... Coverage. He was targeted three times, and he did give up three receptions. Uh, and but yeah, against the run, I feel like he was more than solid. And we've talked before about how we kind of see him as the heir apparent to CJ's throne. Yeah. Uh, so it's very nice to see him getting uh, get first getting the snaps and looking as good as he was last year and building upon it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's what you hope to see. You hope to see guys improve from where they were, especially coming off injury, uh, to be able to see him not only rehab his body to get his body back in shape, to get in better shape. He looked bigger than he did last year after making that transition. He looks like he put on some good weight. His neck looks like a linebacker neck now. And, you know, to do all of that, just get in your playbook, to get in your, your technique, to continue transitioning to a new position when you had most of your season last year taken away by injury and you can't do anything on the field, this dude's work ethic is fantastic. And from speaking to his former uh, high school defense coordinator, who I keep in contact with pretty much any time I see anything about Jamie and Sherwood, I know for a fact this guy has one of the best work ethics on the team. Point blank, period. Doesn't post a damn thing for nine months. Just shows up to camp. Yeah, I'm good. Let's go. I tore my Achilles at the end of October. I don't care. I don't need I don't need to show everybody that I'm fine. They'll see on the field. They'll see when I when I pass my physical at the start of training camp and and blow everyone's minds that I'm healthy. He just works in silence, keeps his head down, grinds, learns from the people around him and and does everything he can to be great. And, And when you when I can say confidently that I know this is true because I've spoken to someone multiple times who has been with this kid when he was 15, 16, 17 years old and how highly he spoke of him as a teenager that he was the leader of their team that he was almost an extension of the coaching staff that the guy that always led by example the guy that always wanted to learn the guy that always picked up anything they threw at him do you see what he did at college at auburn where he basically played like six positions at auburn where i remember the the thing that blew me away from him i believe it was the alabama game he played in his last year In that game alone, he lines up at linebacker, he lines up at strong safety, he lines up at free safety, he lines up at slot corner, he lines up at outside corner, he lines up at defensive end. In one game, doing all of this, while some of those plays being the defensive play caller, you got to be a a brain. You got to have a serious uh, football acumen and football IQ to handle that. Jamie and Sherwood seems to be handling it well. And the dude's nickname is the Forum Park Strangler. <laughs> Come on, guys. How do you not love this? Is number 44 with a Forum Park Strangler? If that, like, I, I don't know what else to say if that doesn't say at all.
1: Yeah, really. Uh, I remember when we first drafted him, uh, we were co- sort of comparing him to Nashville Dean. And we thought that Nasral Dean was all... Uh, all kind of go for, uh, power from the get-go, uh, kind of lightning in a bottle. And then Sherwood was more the, 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 project. the, the project, but also the cerebral part we knew he had down, uh, but we just saw that he wasn't sure of his physical ability and it's kind of refreshing to sort of see him kind of tear down those walls and be sure of himself, uh, whether it's with his injury or his ability on the field. And I really hope that he develops on that.
0: I think so too. And I think he will Uh, from everything I know about him. Like I said, I have no reason to believe that he's just not going to keep ascending. I've seen no evidence to the contrary. I have no reason to believe otherwise. All right, Matt, let's finish off our studs here. I'm going to let you go ahead and take the floor. Tell us about our new rookie running back, not Brees Hall that made a pretty big impact for us on Friday night.
1: That would be bam Knight. night. Uh, Last year, I saw a huge void in our running back room of any running back that had power behind their game. And if you look at the, the two running backs that we have at the, or even the three running backs that we have towards the top of the depth chart, they are guys that will make you miss. They're guys that win with speed rather than anything else. And we really need some guys that can push a pile some guys that can really just explode through a hole and really lay into a, a linebacker and push them back. And I think that guy might be Bam. Uh, he showed it uh, in the in the goal line the situation uh, on yep. Friday. Uh, pushing the, the pile. Three and just kept churning. Just kept churning. Uh, and if you look at our offensive line, if they're not going to be getting the push that we need, then maybe we need a guy like Bam to really – get in there and mix it up with the, the the front seven of the defense and get those hard yards. Uh, I was very encouraged. Uh, I don't know how many running backs we'll end up keeping, uh, but I think that he's made a case for himself, maybe more than a Coleman, because in the end, we have Carter, we have Hall. Is Coleman really a need at this point? I would say Bam probably fits more of a need. I don't
0: disagree. Listen, I I was talking with uh, Ben Blessington. Shout out to Cool Your Jets pod um, with him on Twitter yesterday. We were talking about this exact situation of how many running backs do they keep and do you really need Coleman if Bam Knight is this good? Let me start by saying, I think Bam Knight's going to make the roster. I think he's too good not to. And I think they're going to see as the preseason continues, as we've heard in practice even more so, they're going to realize what they have uh, and it's going to be pointless for them to just let this guy go to another team for free. So I think he's going to make the roster. That said, if you put, you know, gun to my head right now, I think they keep four running backs and I think Coleman's one of them. And your final running back depth chart is Michael Carter, Brees Hall, Tevin Coleman, Zonovan Knight. Could they get rid of Coleman? It's possible, but I think they really value him a in the locker room. The coaching staff loves him. He knows the system forwards, backwards and sideways. So he can be a mentor to those younger players that are just now coming in. And he's a functional receiver. And the Jets have some other functional receivers, you know, as well, but they need to have that threat that you don't want to have a guy in the backfield who's not a receiving threat whatsoever, because it's one less guy for the defense to have to worry about when you do throw. I'm really encouraged by that. I think pass protection is another reason why Coleman's going to be on the team. Could I see them keeping three backs? Yes. Would it outright surprise me? No, I, you know, I really, I would not be surprised at all if they end up keeping three. But what we know about this system, how much they prefer stables of backs, how much they want to run the football, how much they value having guys that can sub in that are similar skill sets to where you're not going to skip a beat. I really think that's going to lead to Coleman finding his way on the roster when it's all said and done. But I wouldn't be surprised if it ends up being three. Uh,
1: You mentioned pass blocking. I I, I think that Knight even had a a pretty good pass blocking uh, rep as well. Uh, I think he showed good form and really stuck it to a linebacker, I believe. Uh, So yeah, it's, it's all anybody's guess right now. uh, Who's going to make it? Uh, I think, yeah, there's a case for both uh, who the team really likes and who really fits what we need going forward. Uh, The talent is there and that's just refreshing in itself. Uh, Finally having talent all over the board and not just starters with our depth. And guys like Coleman and Knight, they provide that depth. And they all provide a certain part, portion of what we need to succeed. And last thing on, on Bam that, that I want to
0: highlight as well. They don't win on Friday without him. Like point blank period, they lose to the Eagles without Bam Knight. They, he gets their first touchdown of the night, gets stuffed at the three, keeps churning, fights in. And gets it in the end zone off pure power and effort and grit. And then on the last drive of the game, he returns a kick 50 yards to set the team up at midfield, where Strelliver ends up leading down. And then, like we said before, throws a touchdown to Calvin Jackson. They're not in a position to score without a 50 yard return from Bam Knight to start the drive. And the thing that I saw from him that I saw on tape as well, that, that really encourages me. Granted it was against some lower players from the Eagles, but this is still the pros and that's still going to be a step up from the ACC. People underestimate his speed a lot. They think he's a power back through and through. They don't think he's that explosive. And we saw on that kick return, I encourage everyone to go back and watch, watch the Eagles defenders in pursuit. And right as he's coming out, when he gets to about the 15 or 20 yard line, there's a lane to his left that he hits. And he just splits two Eagles defenders just with his pure speed. They're not anticipating him being that fast. They're not anticipating him being able to get through that gap as quickly as he did. And he just explodes through it, heads down the sideline and it's a 50 yard game that shows up in his running as well. And when he gets into the open field, he's able to rip off some of these chunk plays and he's not strictly a bruiser. Can he do that? Absolutely. He's really good at it. You don't get the nickname bam for nothing. Hmm but he's got some juice to him to where I think he can be a functional part of this offense and not just he's the goal lineback. He's the short yardage guy. How many other power backs return kicks?
1: Not many. No. The last one I remember is Todd Gurley. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Everything about his game is very impressive. Uh, In my depth charts going forward, I'm definitely going to have him on there. Uh, I think he deserves
0: to be there. I, I really think he am. deserves
1: to be there, uh, especially if he also brings some special teams value as well. Uh, yep. Yeah. I'm I'm fully encouraged by what he can bring. I am too. I'm really looking forward to the rest of this preseason and to see how
0: he does with more reps. Cause I think we're going to have a lot of fun watching Bam night uh, in the next couple of weeks. All right, let's get to our duds. We've gone through the positive. Now we got to get through the sad part. Uh, I'm going to lead things off here. The first string offensive line. And yes, Like I said at the start, their starting tackles weren't in. Slight update as we're recording this. I just saw from uh, Connor Hughes, George Fant was working at right tackle today. So Dwayne Brown's playing left. And we can end that debate like we've, Matt, you and I have said pretty much since before Dwayne Brown was even signed. uh, Last week when we were talking about it before it happened, what would happen if he were to be on the team? Who's going to move over? You're moving Fant to the right side because Dwayne Brown's never played right tackle in 13 years. Yeah. There we go. We can move on. <laughs> Tackles aside, the interior three that did play being Lakin Tomlinson, Connor McGovern, and Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh It was not an encouraging uh, performance. AVT in particular, uh, there was a short, I think it was a, a wide zone to the left, uh, wide zone to the right, excuse me. And Jordan Davis is one on one with Elijah Vera Tucker and just. Beats him with an Ola move, backdoors the play, AVTs stumbling, and looking like he just got hit by, a, you know, a, a tornado. And Davis is able to get into the backfield, make a tackle for loss. It was not a good rep. Laken Tomlinson came over and tried to help McGovern when he was trying to block Jordan Davis on the play. Zach got hurt. And McGovern's all set to anchor. I've seen a lot of people throwing shade at McGovern for, for getting beat by Jordan Davis. And anyone who listens to this show knows that I'm by no means McGovern's biggest fan. So if I'm supporting him and defending him, then there's a reason for it. He, had a, he was in position. He was in all set to anchor. Was he going to give a little ground? Yeah, you're probably going to give a little ground to Jordan Davis. Most people do. But he wasn't going to get outright beat. and Tomlinson comes over to help from the left side and basically knocks him over and allows Davis to get free. I was really worried about the cohesion and most importantly, where I'm going to end with the offensive line. They got no push in the run game. There was that. And and that's not, that's effort. That's strength and effort. That's not as much as it is technique. Like we're talking about with AVT getting beat because he's, he's leaning too far forward and Davis sees and swims him around or, or Lake and Tomlinson coming over to try and help and not doing it in the right way. You know, that's technical stuff. This was just about effort and strength, and the Jets' offensive line lost. That's concerning.
1: Yeah, especially because I believe, and I believe a lot of people believe this, is that this three inside is supposed to be a strength to our run game, yep. that these guys being able to work together would help open up lanes that maybe we didn't have last year, uh, especially with pro bowler Lincoln Tomlinson coming in. And, yeah, they didn't look up to the task at all. Uh, they really got pushed around. And, yeah, it's Davis. We love Davis coming out of, of college. We we knew he was going to be a monster. And he looked every bit of that monster. Uh, so, yeah, you expect to, to get some give from him. But at the same time, they need to do better. Uh, they need to really bear down. and and get this figured out work together because the communication is something that really hurt us early last year. Uh, And if we start off the year with those communication concerns, uh, it's going to slow down our offense to a crawl. And so we really need to get this sorted because yeah, as good as Carter and hall are at making people miss uh, they can only do so much. And if they're getting hit by a man of Davis's stature, before they even get going, then it's going to be a long day for them and for our offense. Uh, So, yeah, they need to figure things out, get on the same page. Uh, Maybe they're thinking too much about who's on the outside, Uh, whether it's uh, Fant at right tackle or Brown at left tackle, which looks like it's going to be going forward. Uh, How these guys coalesce as a unit is going to be very important for the development of everybody whether it's uh, Zach going forward, our receivers getting the opportunity to, to get open uh, for everybody. The whole offense really depends on this offensive line uh, really gelling and becoming that unit that defenses don't want to go up against. And right now they're not there. No, no, they're
0: not. Um, the interior three, especially with all the uncertainty we've had at tackle for Lord knows how long now that was supposed to be the core stable part of the offensive line. And it wasn't. And that's, that's a concern. Um, Matt, I want you to join me over here in tinfoil Hatland for a second. And I want to be very clear that I'm not saying that I'm stamping my, uh, you know, stamp of approval and saying, I fully believe this, but it's been something that's been ringing in the back of my head that I've been trying to ignore. And last night really didn't give me any reason not to. So, Tin foil hat time, please. Is the Jets offense look better in camp because the defense is so predictable. That's Ooh. why Zach Wilson looks better because he's going against an easy, predictable defense that struggles with their linebackers and pass coverage. And as the offensive line seem to be able to be doing well in run blocking in camp because the Jets defensive line is awful at stopping the run. And now we're seeing what happens when they play somebody
1: else. I want to say no, but maybe (laughs) that's the problem, right? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there are days in camp where you hear about the defense totally demolishing our offensive line and their offense is pretty much stagnant. So there are days like that, but maybe uh, it's so hard to tell right now in, in preseason. When nobody's really game planning for anybody. Yeah. Uh, But if that is the case, who are you really putting that on?
0: Oh, it it 100% falls on the head coach. Yes. Yeah. It falls on the head coach because you need to be able to get both of your units ready. Obviously, you want to practice what you do as your core principles and, and, and get your bases down. But the whole point of game planning, and like you said, you're not doing too much game planning, you know, in preseason. I get that. But the whole point of the idea of game planning is that you have to have a scout team replicate your opponent. You have to try and have situations where you tell your defense, I know this isn't something we do, but we need to see, have our offense, see this look, you know, in this situation. So this is what you guys are going to do because we need to replicate that. I don't feel like the Jets do that. And maybe I'm wrong and maybe, you know, during the season we'll see some things change. But I feel like And Robert Sala himself has said this, which is why I feel this way. They're a very much we do what we do team, regardless of who we're playing. And I'm not always sure that that's the best strategy.
1: Yeah. Uh, (laughs) They're going to do what they're going to do. And they last year is very much a detriment to the defense uh, because not only were they young and not experienced, uh, but they all just looked physically incapable of doing what they wanted them to do at times. And if this year is just a continuation of that, of putting players in a position where they're not going to be able to do what they need to do, then yeah, it's going to slow everything down. It's going to turn our defense into a unit that were had a lot of expectations for. Uh, we finally see, the talent on this defense. So if they're being put in a position where they're not going to succeed, then that's very disheartening, uh, not just on their part, but on a coaching staff that really prides themselves on defense, whether it's Ulrich or Sala. These guys grew into the coaches. They are because of the defenses that they've put forward. And yeah, it, it's, we really want to see more from them. And I hope we do as game planning really becomes part of the equation. Uh, So I'm not going to go too crazy too quick about all this, but at the same time, it's disheartening.
0: It's very disheartening. Uh, And I think that's going to lead us to our next dud. Uh, Matt, I'm going to let you expand on this a little bit, because like we're saying, we know there's not a lot of game planning. We know that it's preseason. You don't want to give away too much. We fully understand that. Very clear. But Jeff Ulbrich's on the hot seat,
1: yeah. Uh, after last year, uh, I thought he was already on the hot seat. There were already Agreed. people calling for Ulbrich to be fired. Uh, so if it's more of the same of what we were just talking about, where their guys being put in bad positions or just being so predictable in how they approach a defending and offense, then yeah, it, it's going to be a short career for him as our defensive coordinator. Uh, and it's going to look really poorly on Salah as well. Uh, I like Ulbricht, the, the person. Uh, I, everything I, I watch of him, uh, whether it's a one-jet drive or any, anything else, he sounds like the kind of guy I would want to play for, like the kind of guy that I would get up and be ready to run through a wall for. Uh, but at the same time, if what's being implemented isn't effective, things need to change. And the fact that they haven't, again, it's preseason, so there's still lots of time for things to change. But we need to see it. If we don't see it, it's going to be a long year. I, 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 I don't want to go too far into it because, again, it is still very early, Everything with a grain of salt right now. everything with a grain of salt, uh, but we need to see more and quick. yeah, and like
0: I just said, everything with a grain of salt, but you know who else sounds like a really good defensive coordinator to play for and sounds like a guy in everything you hear that that you would be all for, and
1: then on the field didn't match up? Greg Williams yeah, <laughs> absolutely uh, the, the the Greg Williams experiment with him being the head coach of the defense. Uh, that, that, that didn't work out too well either. So it's, there's a lot of things that sound great with good intentions, and then they just don't work out. The sign of great coaching is recognizing that early and changing your approach. Whether that happens, that is still yet to be seen. It still
0: is. Uh, hopefully things change in the regular season. That's all I'm going to say. I'm going to hold all of my final judgment until we get to the regular season and we can speak fully when we see their full playbook and, and, how they adjust to different teams. And it's not as vanilla, but it was not very encouraging. Jalen hurts went six for six with a touchdown on his first drive against the jet starters. First and only one that that's not a good sign. <laughs> it's just not. All right. Moving yeah. on our next dud here. Uh, speaking of run blocking uh, Tyler Conklin, great receiver, having a great camp got his butt smoked in the run game outside of one play. There was a third down where Brees Hall was in the backfield. And as the play where he starts inside, then cuts out to the right, makes a guy miss, and is able to pick up the first down. Conklin did a really good job washing the defensive end on the right side down to create that lane for Brees Hall. I swear it was his only good block of the night.
1: Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the outside of that receiving, like you said, it, it was just not really spectacular. And I hear a lot of people talking about how Conklin's going to be the guy that takes over as tight end one. Uh, if he's not picking up the slack uh, in, in the run game, I have a hard time seeing that happen. Uh, uh, I really don't see him being the guy that's getting all those snaps if he's not improving in that category.
0: No, he really needs to. And to be fair, not like CJ Uzama was doing pretty well in this department either. But no. I thought Conklin in particular really struggled. There was one play, the Jets were running wide zone to the left, I believe, earlier in the game. And I don't even remember which defensive end it was in the Eagles, but he drove he drove Conklin in the backfield by about five yards and shut down any chance of the run happening. And when you are an undersized tight end like Conklin is, that is better as a receiver. We've seen that. We even saw that on Friday night where he had a couple of nice grabs. I think he had a third down conversion. Um, from Zach Wilson uh, to pick up a first down that's all well and good, but this offense lives and dies with the run game and it lives and dies with having tight ends that can be blockers and receivers. We need to see a better showing from Tyler Conklin because he's going to be a major part of this team. Uzama too, but but Conklin really stuck out to me as as the weak link of the blocking unit, apart from the interior, everyone was bad. You know, yeah. it was just, it's, it's hard to sit here and say anyone was, you know, worse than anybody else, because there was just no push from the line or the tight ends. But I was really disappointed with Conklin because we had heard all camp about how good in the run game he was and better than people were expecting. And he's, you know, I, I was the first one to sit here and say, and I thought he was going to outproduce Uzama. I thought he had a chance to be the tight end one, because he was the only tight end that was healthy throughout the start of camp and OTAs. He's got to work on that run blocking.
1: Yeah, run blocking as a whole from the entire offensive line through to the tight end needs to improve. It's, it was a very poor showing all around. Um, and yeah, like you said, our offense is going to run through our run game. And if they can't figure that out, it's going to really be a detriment to everything else. Uh, I am encouraged, though, by everything else regarding Conklin and our tight end group. Yeah. Uh, so it, I, as long as they've got that down, I think that now they can really bear down on the problem areas and, and really improve upon them. I, I can only hope. But you know what? I, all Everything that we've been talking about so far just has me thinking about kind of the rosy glasses that everybody has uh, before preseason or game situations, uh-huh. where everybody sees all the talent being brought in And it's so hard to see the pain points of the talent that we brought in because nobody's perfect. Nobody's going to be able to do a hundred percent of what we think they're capable of and what we expect them to do. And we're kind of seeing that now. We love Conklin. We, we love all the slow-mo videos of him training and catching passes, but then on the flip side, we're not really seeing it in the run game. And that's kind of going to be, I think, a trend for a lot of the guys that we really hyped up this this summer. Uh, and it's, it's only going to get worse if they don't work on it. Uh, so I, we, all we can do is hope that they do. Yeah, we are uh, over the hump of
0: optimism, and we are creaching uh, and inching back towards reality, uh, slowly but surely. Um, on the bright side, I will say, Jeremy records first snap of the game. He pancakes a linebacker. So that was a positive, very encouraging for him. Um, Matt, I'm going to toss things over to you as we finish off our duds here outside of Sherwood. Like we said at the top, the linebackers were pretty bad. And I think the two we need to highlight are Quincy Williams and Hampton
1: Astros. Yeah. Uh, Quincy in particular, because we had such high hopes for him as well. Uh, with our rosy glasses, we thought that the sky was the limit for him with his physicality. Uh, And that was really his detriment today. (laughs) Or not today on on Friday. Uh, He just had no awareness at all for the sideline. And he was the first to admit it as well. He made a mistake. Uh, But it's a mistake that we can't have going forward. Those mistakes extend drives and lead to points just like it did on Friday. Yeah. And it just kind of shows a little bit of undiscipline. And he's always been the guy that was kind of shot out of a cannon that will run downhill at the speed of light and really lay the wood. And that's kind of what he still is. We were hoping for more control from him, but maybe that's just what it's going to be for him. Maybe he's always going to be that downhill linebacker uh, that's, Going to make some flashy hits now and then, but then at the same time, maybe he's going to run himself out of a lot of plays and maybe even uh, cause a lot of p- penalties. Yeah, he certainly could. Um, and on top of that,
0: this is kind of the the downside of Robert Sala's aggressiveness, where it's you preach attack, 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 violence, and you know always putting in hundred and ten percent effort and and strain, and you know we're going to be the bigger, batter, tougher team. Agreed. All of that is good but it's about finding the middle ground between being over aggressive and being stupid. And you have to, you have to find that balance uh, of controlled aggression and know when is the time to let everything out like that. And and that wasn't the time. And Salah said it himself. It was egregiously awful, let alone game situation, extending drive, anything else. It's the preseason and you're going after another team's starting quarterback. You just put a target on your back for the rest of the season. Yeah. Like that, there's there's goes beyond, you know, beyond that. Nick Sirianni, for anyone that was watching the game, was livid on the sideline, yelling across to Robert Sala at anything he could, cursing up a storm. Deservedly so. Yeah, I, I, I'm not even going to sit here and say that it wasn't it wasn't justified because it was completely justified. And for anyone, who disagrees, that <laughs> exactly, that was going to be the next thing out of my mouth for anyone who disagrees. Imagine if. Kaiser White hit Zach late out of bounds on the first drive of the game in a preseason week one. Jets fans would be coming for his head. Absolutely. It's, it's no different. And I really, I want to make sure that we recognize this and we're not being biased and sitting here and being like, oh, it's football. You got to be tough. That happens. It's like, no, it was a dumb play. And now is not the time for it. And the Eagles deserve to be upset. Yeah. And that's why Salah didn't defend him. That's why Sala didn't sit there and be like, oh, you know, he, he got the better of him. Egregiously awful was his
1: words. And, and that's exactly what it was. And, uh, and that's, yeah, that's a problem. Yeah, that's a problem. And that situational awareness, like, hey, this is preseason. Let's show a little bit of a conscious effort towards not doing stupid things like this, whether it's him or Zach cutting it back inside. And I wonder if this is a trend that's going to keep happening not just with these players but throughout the team of just being undisciplined and not having the awareness to really put themselves in the situation and be aware of what needs to be done. And it's troublesome and it's put that on top of all the other little troublesome things that here and there. I think they can all sort of compound and add up into something that's even bigger and worse. and that's my biggest fear going forward.
0: It's definitely a fear Uh, to make a really bad analogy. uh, It's like the difference between having a spotter. uh, if you're a military sniper and lining up your shot before you fire off and just taking a machine gun and spraying blindly. Yeah. Uh, And, and that's, that's what we need to do. Like these players, they need to scope before they trigger. And right now they're just spraying and praying. And that's not a, not a good sign at all. Um, On top of that, Hamza Nasraldine. Oh, Good. Goodness gracious, I don't think he's going to make this roster.
1: I really don't either.
0: I, I, uh, the run game, it wasn't there. He was awful in pass coverage. The Eagles ran play action about three separate times and hit dig routes over his head. And, and for for the PFF fans out there, PFF isn't going to say that that was his fault in coverage because he wasn't the nearest defender. It's because he fell for the play action so bad. He was 12 yards up uh, upfield at the line of scrimmage instead of getting depth like he should have in his zone. It was not a good showing from Hamza Nasraldine. And when you consider that we have his counterpart in Jamie and Sherwood, who seems to have improved despite an injury, gotten better, where Hansa had an injury to start and then was decently healthy as the season went on and through OTAs, I'm I'm really struggling to see how he's gonna fit on this team. I just can't find a role for him.
1: I can't either because as soon as we got Quan, I yep. kind of sort of threw it out there that. Nazarene wasn't going to make it. Uh, and I haven't seen anything to the contrary from him, uh, in effect to showing that he deserves to even have a spot. And if you look at the depth along our edge rushers or a cornerback, or even at safety, I think there's a lot more there, uh, in terms of talent that can really contribute, whether it's on special teams or on defense, um, and if we're going to be doing a lot of uh, a nickel, then a lot of the safeties are going to be used as, as linebackers anyways. So maybe it's a little bit more uh, intuitive to just keep more safeties than, than linebackers. So, yeah, I, I'm having a hard time seeing Nassadin, uh make the 53. I think he does. If, we, if he doesn't make the 53, I think we do try to bring him back on the practice squad. Uh, but right now he agreed he needs to kind of really put it out there or else it's going to be trouble for him. He is he's on thin ice.
0: That, that's how I'm seeing it right now, because we're not seeing much development. We're not seeing, you know, the awareness being there. And like I was just talking about, you can have the athleticism, you can have the talent. But if you don't know what you're doing and you're in the wrong spot, it's not going to matter. So it's it's troublesome. I'm, I'm very glad they were able to get Quan Alexander as linebacker depth because it seems like they needed it more than we thought. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm really pessimistic on on, on Nasruldeen and in, in his future. I hope I'm wrong because they really need the depth and they really need another guy that can be a, a rangy linebacker that fits their system. But it, it's not looking good right now.
1: It is not. Uh, yeah, I, I think that when we we drafted him and Sherwood. Uh, he was the guy who we were, I was just talking about this before where he had the athletic ability uh, to really flash and it was all about control. And he doesn't look like he's really garnered any of that cerebral aspect to his game yet. And it's showing on, on the field. Uh, and yeah, we, we need that depth because right now, like even with Quan Quincy and CJ and Sherwood, like there, there's, talent there but i still would stop short of saying that this is a talented group uh i would say there's a lot of potential there i'd say there's a lot of specialized help there uh but as of right now it's not deep group it's not a group that's well-rounded uh so it's it's uh, it's not the weakness that it was before Quan, but it's still a decent weakness right now uh so, yeah, any help that we could get that would be very useful right now. But uh, I would say there's other guys that maybe jump him, like Delshawn Phillips. I feel like Delshawn Phillips had a decent game. Uh, maybe he's that guy if they do keep a fifth linebacker uh, outside of, of Nazaldine. It's possible.
0: I mean, I thought he was okay. He didn't really flash you know, too much to me where I was sitting here ranting and raving about him or anything. Um... Like I said, when I was talking about Sherwood, that yeah, was pretty much the only linebacker I had outright positive things to say about. Um, granted, we didn't say CCJ play. So that's you know a factor to it. And another factor, we did have a couple of starters missing overall uh, on the defensive side of the ball to, to go back to giving up six for six on the first drive. So that is a factor to it as well. But yeah, it's not, uh, it's not encouraging and I'm, I'm not expecting It would take a massive change and a massive step forward in a very short amount of time for me to see natural team end up making the 53. Yeah, agreed. All right, Matt, let's wrap this up. Uh, Let's look ahead to the Atlanta Falcons joint practice and eventual preseason matchup. This is going to be interesting. It's the Jets first uh, inter-squad practice of the year. Um, It's going to be good to get some competition against guys that they're not used to seeing. If my tinfoil hat conspiracy of the Jets defensive system is making the offense look better than it is in practice. And then they go into real games and get, uh, get their crap handed to them. Then we'll see how that goes against the Falcons. Granted, the Falcons aren't world beaters. I wouldn't say that they are you know, outwardly talented in, in any one particular area to where this is an, an unfair matchup and the Jets are clearly the worst team. So you're hoping that they can be competitive. Uh, Drake London's coming off a knee injury, uh, hoping that he can get back healthy because there'll be some good matchups with Sauce Gardner uh, as well as DJ Reed getting some work on a bigger, uh, bigger receiver. There's important things to glean from this practice overall, but the one thing that I will say this is going to be my barometer. The jets need to look like they are clearly the better team because they should be. And if they're not, then that's concerning.
1: Yeah. Last year, especially against the Packers and the Eagles, uh, during those joint practices, it was really made apparent that the jets were not even on par with these teams. They, and it showed when we played them in the preseason last year as well, that we just didn't look like we belonged on the same field. Uh, I think that we definitely should be able to compete with this team. Uh, I think we even went into regular season game last year when they had Matt Ryan thought that we should be able to compete. We did end up losing that game in London, but at the same time, uh, what we have compared to them, I think is definitely in our favor. I, I, I am usually all for these joint practices, I just worry so much about injuries these days. I, don't, I I feel like this team has made me so skittish about yeah. everything in, uh, before the season starts. Every little thing just kind of eh, irks me to the, to the point where I am having a hard time functioning, watching these practices or reading updates because it's just got, has me on pins and needles. And this team is so used to, not really going full out against their own team, uh, maybe taking it easy on hits or not sacking quarterbacks. And I feel like when they go up against these teams in practice, it really amps up the, the intensity. And yeah. that just also really just amps up the, the potential for injury as well. So I, that's what we really need to, to really focus on is no injuries. Everything else is, is gravy after that. Uh, but yes, uh, the what the, uh, who, who is their quarterback? The, is it Mariota? Mariota. Mariota. So yeah, it would be interesting to see. I, I'd like to see Pitts. I want to see how we do against a Absolutely. physical tight end like Pitts. Uh, see what these linebackers and safeties can do, especially Whitehead. I want to see if we can just match them up. In practice, and see how they do. Uh, That'd be a fun matchup, especially if if uh, Sauce can't get his matchup against uh, London.
0: Absolutely, Uh, Kyle Pitts is going to be. The Jets had trouble stopping tight ends uh, last year. This is going to be a a great test for them because Kyle Pitts routed them up last year in London, and so hopefully they they remember that and they want to they want to show something a little different. Um, Injuries, like you said, hundred percent. That's top of the list is come out healthy. Um, I'm going to start knocking on wood um, Mm -hmm. because I haven't been, because I didn't think it was necessary, like an idiot. Uh, So we're going to change that from now on. Um, But yeah, stay healthy, be competitive, be the better team like you're supposed to be. Uh, That's, that's what I want to hear out of reports of training camp as I want to hear the jets defensive line is making short work of the Falcons offensive line because they should, because the Falcons offensive line is not good. I expect to hear Quinn Williams with Jalen Mayfield up and down the field for the entire week of practice. You know, that's what we need to see. We need to see them getting some good push in the run game because outside of Grady Jarrett, there really isn't too much on that Falcons defensive line and their linebackers are really questionable. Yeah. So if we can't get a run game going against this team, then that's going to be even bigger of a concern hopefully our coverage can hold up in the back end defensively. We can lock down. I think sauce is a perfect, perfect matchup for Drake London. Uh, but covering Kyle Pitts is going to be a whole other animal. And then how do we handle a mobile quarterback in Mariota and Ritter who can run too if, when he eventually gets in the game, I'm sure he'll get some time in the preseason matchup as well. How do we handle a mobile quarterback? So there's a lot of things to learn from this practice. Most importantly, stay healthy. But if the jets aren't, If we're not seeing reports, and I don't need it to be like, oh, the Jets are worlds better than the Falcons. That's not my barometer. But they should be clearly better. If they are not clearly better, then I'm going to really start questioning how this year is going to go.
1: Yeah, and I think this week we'll probably start to see the starting offensive line that we're going to see week one. Uh, Maybe we'll get Brown in there. It looks like fans already playing at right tackle. This could be a get right week for this offensive line who really had that poor showing against the Eagles. Uh, and if they could do that, maybe that throws a little bit more encouragement our way. And uh, we don't really have to be all doom and gloom next Sunday. Oh, that's the hope. Actually, wait, that's the absolutely. game's on Monday. So we're going to, we'll, we'll we got more time
0: to sweat a little bit more time. Uh, well, that's going to do it for us for this week. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, It was a roller coaster of a preseason week one. Um, I never thought that I would be that concerned over a preseason game in my entire life. But here we are. Thank you, New York Jets, for always giving us heart attacks. Uh, and, And we move on as the season gets closer and closer to starting. Matt, you know what to do by this point.
1: Yep. I'm Matt. You can find me at Zazzy Jets. And you can find
0: me at Andrew Golden underscore 17. Make sure you guys are also following at OKD podcast as well to get the latest updates on the show. Thank you again so much for listening. And we will be back next week to review the Falcons preseason game joint practice and any other crazy potential storylines that may happen between now and then. Thank you guys so much. Bye bye.